If you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and then we're going to jump into the book of Romans after that. I told you last week we're doing uh, the economy of God. So that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to be looking at some terms this morning, and what do we know about debt? We're looking at debt. It is what you owe. And did you know the Bible looks at debt kind of funny? In Matthew chapter 6, I bet some of y'all have this verse memorized. You ready? 6.12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're not talking about what you owe on the MasterCard or the Visa. All right, We're not talking about that kind of debt. We're talking about actual sin. What you owe. Man, that's kind of crazy because I don't know anybody anything, right? That's how oftentimes we go into this world. But sin is actually a form of debt before a righteous and a holy God. So when God is standing there in his throne, or seated, I should say that, in his, on his throne... Everything that we do that is committing sin, any sin that we have before him, is an act of treason against a high and a holy king. It is storing up debt for ourselves. That's what we're doing. Every time we sin, we're storing up debt. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. So God looks at us in our lives, sees the debt, that we have accumulated. We have debt when we commit sin. We commit sin, God looks at it, and he says, mm, you owe. But here's the deal with one singular sin, it is a mountain of debt. You're like, no, it's not, I just lied. One sin is like a mountain of debt that you could never repay. Even the slightest lie, the fib, the look with lust, the, the doing something out of anger and malice or greed, or lust. That one sin is like a mountain of debt against you. Like Mount Everest, beyond Mount Everest. The Mariana Trench, that's how deep you are. All right, So, you're in debt to God, but the problem is we don't usually just have one sin in our life. There's multiple sins. So we are stacking debt on top of debt on top of debt on top of debt. And we owe that back to the one and we can never repay him. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is what it says in Matthew. That means we ask God for forgiveness like we're going to forgive others. But so often we don't forgive others, do we? A lot of times we say, I want forgiveness, but I can't forgive anyone else. Imagine if God only forgave you like that. That means you would not be fully forgiven. And you would still have that mountain of debt. Forgiveness. Very important. So now we're going to jump into Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3 first. And now we're going to talk about liability. So we looked at debt, now we're going to look at liability. So liability, it's what you were paying as an obligation by an agreement that you had with somebody, or by a commitment, or by a contract, or by law. So that's what a liability is. 
your car note is a liability. Believe it or not, people are like, no, that car that I have is an asset. No, it's not. The car that you are driving is a liability if you still owe on it. Because things can go wrong on that thing, and you don't own it to begin with, you're still going to be paying it off. It's not an asset until you own the thing, right? And this, so let me talk some practicality and some sense to you. In our world today, we have a problem with finances, and people have a problem with finances, because people go around and they, they're making $40,000, but they're living like millionaires. You know what we call that? $40,000 millionaires. Got to have a new house, a new car, new this, new that, all that stuff. Live within your means. That's a biblical application of the word. Live within your means so you don't find yourself upside down and in debt on stuff. <laughs> one, of the big, one of the big things that, that I used to hate was when I got to Louisiana, had a truck, it was paid for. Then I got upside down on a car. And every two years, I'd be upside down again until I finally got smart enough and I was like, I need to quit buying cars because that creates debt. Once you realize what creates debt and you stop it, you can move forward in a life that is a whole lot freer. The same thing applies to your spiritual life. When you figure out what is causing a debt between you and God, that sin debt, and you cut it out, you can start living a whole lot freer. That makes sense? So all of the things that you do that are outside of God's will for your life, you look at them and you go, you know what? Light bulb moment. I don't need to do that because when I do that, I'm storing up debt that I can never really repay. I'm creating a greater gap between me and God. That's a problem. That's a problem we've all had with sin in our life. Romans 3.23 talks about this liability. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin is the liability. I guess, technically, the behavior that you have that leads you to sin is the liability as well. So, how do we do that? How do we change going running to sin to running away from it or staying out of it and staying, staying pure? How do we do that? you got to be in Christ you got to be away from whatever's snaring you and snagging you and trapping you and pulling you down. When we realize what the liabilities are in our life, like the brand new car, if we're paying on it for $900 a month, $400 a month, you know, whatever it is that you're paying, that is a liability. You look at that liability and you go, huh. Do I really need it? Do I really want that? Need to put that away. Get that behind me. So, the liability in our behavior causes us to be in debt. But here's where everything changes. A lot of people think, well, you know what? I got an income. It's what I earn. 
right? So we start talking about income, and this income we start looking at, and we start going, I get so much per week, per month, per year that I can buy all that. Sure, you might be able to do that, but when it comes to sin, we start putting our life on a scale, and we start going, you know what? I do this and this and this, and I bet God's not happy with that. So I will do this, this, and this, and earn righteousness from God, and I'll get a credit, and I'll get an income from God to pay off all of my sin. Did you know that every religion in the world does that? Whether you're Muslim, whether you're Hindu, they, they have this scale idea, like this balance And if I have more good works than bad works, it's going to outweigh them, and I'll be good with God. Me and the big man upstairs, we got an understanding. I'm going to do just, I'm going to tilt the scale in my favor. This is why we have suicide bombers from the Muslim faith, because they go and they can recruit guys in prison that are like, man, I'm a bad dude. There's no way I can be right before Allah. Right? And what do they do? They say, Man, the only thing I can do is to go and become a martyr for the cause. And that will tip the scale in my favor, and I'll make it to paradise. It's a recruiting technique that they'd actually use on them. So when we talk about income and what we do and what we earn from God, can you earn God's favor? Can you? Back in the Old Testament, they were told to obey the law. Follow his commandments, and everything will be right, right? One of the Ten Commandments actually comes with the promise that you'll, have a, a, you'll live to an old age, right? Honor your, honor your parents, and you'll have a long life. So maybe we can earn favor there through obedience. But can you ever earn riches and righteousness by following God? Probably not. Now I'm going to step on the toes of some of the faith, word of faith people. I doubt they're in here because they probably wouldn't like listening to me after one week. You cannot earn healing. You cannot earn money. You cannot earn favor with God by trying to go out and go above and beyond what he's called you to do. It just doesn't happen. There are movements out there that will try to tell you if you want to be healed, you just need to have more faith. There are folks out there that say if you want to get rich and have the new car, you just need to spend more money at the church and give like that. That's not going to make you richer. hate to tell you that. Don't believe the hype on the late night infomercials with the televangelist crying and weeping and pleading you to sow a hundred dollar seed. Don't do it. The Bible teaches us that we cannot earn His righteousness. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Your income for working sin, for having sinned, 
For a behavior of sin that leads to sin, your wages, your payday, you're collecting death. Sign me up, boss. No! The wages of sin is death. And it's going to be payday someday. And everyone's going to stand in line like a Friday afternoon. Remember, some of y'all may do that. You stand in line or you have done this and you're in line and the boss man hands out the checks on a Friday evening when it's, when it's closing time. That was before uh, automatic withdrawal and all that stuff. But One day... You're going to be standing before God and He's going to give you what you've earned. And for folks who are in sin outside of Christ, it is death, eternal death, separation from God for all eternity in hell. But for those who are in Christ, they get the free gift of God. You know, you walk into a bank right now, and if, if I said, hey, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a car, I want to buy a piece of land, they're going to run me a credit check. And they're going to check my debt-to-income ratio. And they're going to say, okay, the ratio between what he owes in life and what he takes in in life is on that scale. And it's natural for this world to look at that scale and that balance and judge you. That's how you get a loan for anything. God doesn't look at that debt-to-income ratio. He looks at something else. He looks at your line of credit. Well, what's your line of credit? Ah, well, let's look at credit again. Credit is the funding that is added to your account. Sam does stuff around the house, and uh, can I tell it? I'm going to tell it. Can I tell him how I pay you? Why can't I, man? I got to store up credit, or Sam stores up credit, and I pay him back later in a way that he does not want me to disclose right now, so I will not. Out of the Confidentiality Act, Section C, Clause 9. So we've got credit. I owe you. Man. So now this is crazy because this is where it becomes scandalous. If God were a bank president, in the United States, in Oak Grove or whatever, and he operated by the rules of the world, he would go to jail. It would be a scandal the way that he handles things because the way that he handles things would be extremely irresponsible and scandalous where he looks at the person coming in for a loan and he looks at pathetic pitiful Tony Campanelli, and he sees him, and he goes, you want a loan for what? $200 trillion. Anybody else would laugh me out of there and say, 
you're on drugs. But God looks at me and I say, $200 trillion because that's what I already owe. And he said, wait a minute, so you're not making $200 trillion and you want to borrow that, looking at a debt-to-income ratio. He looks at me and he says, you're already in debt. How am I going to loan you that much money that you could never repay anyway? I look at him and I say, because you are good. Try that at your bank. I wouldn't say $200 trillion, just say 100000 Try that at your bank and walk in there and just be like, huh, pick a number that's unrealistic and see if they laugh at you. But we have that credit. What is the credit that we carry? It's in Romans 4.5. Romans 4.5 says this, To him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So you're standing there in the bank, you're asking for an astronomical loan, how are you going to pay this back? I'm not. Excuse me? No, this ain't going to happen. But what if the bank president says, okay, here's the loan. I'm not going to pay it back, but my God is. My God is able to close the gap, that separation. He's able to squash the mountain of debt. And not only squash that mountain of debt, but give me all of His riches. That's grace. When you look to the one, as Romans 4, 5 says, when you look to the one who's paid the price, and you're not trying to work for it, and you're not trying to earn it, and you're not doing it under your own merit, but you look at him and go, he has already paid the debt. He is the one who prints the money. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is able through his righteousness, where my righteousness wasn't enough, where my good deeds will never ever add up to even pay off the very smallest base of that mountain of debt that I have, his was. Why? Because he that believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He who looks to him at that cross, and Jesus on that cross said, it is finished. When he said that, it literally translates into tetelestai, which means paid in full. So when I'm sitting there as a sinner, knowing the mountain of sin that I have, I look up on the mountain Golgotha that he's hung on the cross on, and I hear him yell, it is paid in full. I can look at him and know that my sin debt is no more. And because it's no more, I can go to him freely, boldly, and ask of him what is in his will. I can ask anything in his name, and we know that God will answer that prayer. There's also when you ask God in his will what his will is, God wants to, he will answer his will. So you pray 
about what's in God's will, and you ask, and it will be given to you. And then we see that we get an asset. When we believe by faith that Jesus paid for our sin on that cross, that He took the wrath of God, He took the penalty for not... the penalty of sin and debt in our own lives, and He gives us His goodness, righteousness, and His peace, and His glory, and He gives that to us. And when He gives that to us, we walk away not in debt anymore, but we walk away with abundant wealth, an abundant life. Not literal wealth, not the $100 bills that I passed out, but we walk away with life knowing that we are free in Christ, knowing that His Spirit is in us, He can never leave us or forsake us, and we can have confidence knowing that we can have an eternity with Him. And then, that's the asset, that salvation. It's something that you have that has value to meet the debts or obligations in your life. Do you have that salvation today? Do you have the ability to have that debt that you owed wiped out? Are you a believer in Christ that He came to take your sin that he died on a cross for you and for others so that your sin and your debt and his fury against you would be paid? Do you believe that he was dead and raised from the grave? And if you do, you have that life. He resides in you and the asset above all other assets of salvation from Christ is yours. There's one more word I want to talk about, one more term, and that is net worth. So check this out. What's your net worth? Anybody ever try to ask uh, or answer that? Your net worth, there it is, is the total wealth of an individual taking into account all of your assets and then all of your liabilities. All the things that you owe, the unpaid car, the house, the unpaid college education, the unpaid this and the unpaid that, and all that stuff, all the liabilities added up, the bad relationships that you're in that are sucking money from you, right? All of the things that stand between you and Christ, all there in the asset, which is salvation on the other side, outweighs them all. So, Tony, that means I can do whatever I want to do, right? I have a license to sin because it's all paid off. I have the credit card of God because He's given me His credit card and it has no limits. It has no bounds. It has no limitations. When you have that salvation... You look at the sin of this world and you hate it. 
Why? Because you don't want to disappoint the one that's given you that card. You look at it, and you say, as badly as I'd like to go to it, I'm not. Because deep down inside, I don't love it anymore. I hate it. And I want to walk. I want to run from it. Because God's grace is going to keep me on that, on that path. I can't walk it on my own. I must walk it through His Spirit. Your net worth, if you were in Christ, is worth the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about that. Why? Because he loves you. Because he died for you. Because he made a way for you to be with him in eternal glory. I'm going to take you to one last verse. It's Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded that much more. Where there is sin in your life, think about it as a cancer. Where there is a cancer in someone and they're going to cut it out of them, what do they do? They cut an area of good skin or good tissue around it and they remove it all so where sin is in your life God encircles that with his grace that much more than the offense was than the sin was there is nothing that you've done in your past that God can't look at and forgive no matter how bad you think it was there is nothing that you've done, that you've thought, that you've acted on, that you've said, that God cannot forgive you of. Because where sin abounds, His grace abounds that much more. It's just a matter of turning to Him and saying, Lord, I want to please You. I thank You for the keys to the kingdom. I thank You for the credit that You've given me. And I don't want to bring shame to you because I love you and I want to live my life for you.